Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast. It's me, Denise, and I have a special episode for you. My friend and client, Sean, has agreed to talk with us. You want to say hi, Sean? Hi, Denise. <laughs> and we, uh, we decided to do this because Sean and I had a coaching conversation last week. Um, Sean is in a group that I am coaching. And he's using all of the tools that I share with all of my clients and that I talk about on the podcast. And Sean had um, unusually quick and dramatic progress. And so this all came about because of one word, Sean, and that was the word you used to start our last call. And that was fantastic when I asked you how you're doing. And it's such an unusual descriptor that I get. And I, I usually am listening for facetiousness. Uh, but it was sincere. And you went, so you went from a state of overwhelm, which you're going to talk about, to a state of fantastic in what to me feels like a pretty quick amount of time. And you also were dealing with an intense, but also very common situation that I think a lot of people can relate to. So that's why I invited you. And thank you for agreeing to spend this time with me and with the listeners. Thank you for having me, Denise. I can't. Um, I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity to just sort of for us to to talk back and forth, and and the idea that if if my experiences could help or contribute to somebody else, or if somebody else can glean something from this, I think that's that, that's a bonus for me. So thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Well, you are welcome. And like I always tell people that when you share your process, your coaching process, people are not thinking about you so much as they are thinking about themselves and applying the process to themselves. So this is a generous act you're doing. And we are going to be talking about mainly two different things. One is managing your stress so that you can um, gain access to your prefrontal cortex, the smart part of your brain, which is inaccessible when you are under stress. And we're going to talk about the situation that created stress for you, which is a very common one, and how you used the stress relieving, te relieving techniques and specifically the STEER model, the thought upgrade model, um, but any, anything else you did. We're going to walk through that process. So um, for people who haven't listened to the episode about STEER, upgrading your thoughts, I think it was episode three, don't worry. You can always go back and listen to that, but we're going to actually um, walk through it as we talk because anybody can open a book and find lots of tips on how to change and what to do in a given situation. But if you don't address your stress, and if you don't address the foundational thoughts that are creating the emotions and thoughts and actions and results in your life, then any of those tricks won't stick. And that's why people read a book and then they try something and they get dejected because it doesn't last um, it's because they didn't go to the root cause. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Sean, and ask you to describe the situation. So the first step of STEER is just to describe the situation and to do it as factually as possible. But don't worry about getting this right. Just, um, just tell us 
what you what your state was when we first met and we were in that room together for about seven hours kicking off our coaching okay um so i think my state at that time so as you um well my, my situation um professionally is i am in a new role so i have some familiar ground um but by and large a lot of the things that i'm being asked to do um are new to me um and I, I think it's important for context setting as well to understand that that where i am coming from so it has been a place where my contribution or my self-worth or what i my confidence comes from my technical abilities and my ability i just i know how things are supposed to get done and i lean on that pretty heavily so in my in this new situation um I don't have a lot of that, so I am I am being asked to um, lead in an area where I don't I don't have a lot of familiarity, and it was causing a lot of of anxiousness, a lot of worry, um, a lot of the, some a lot of the feelings that were behind that is um, uh, not sure if I'm good enough, not sure if I'm I was the right pick. So folks identified me, but then I would question that whether or not I was the right pick, or you know, questioning their their sense of. Of, of reality, you know, am I really the person that you think I am? Um, so that was a piece of it. And, and so uh, I think there's a lot of fear going into discussions and leading, leading groups and, um, you know, and all of those things. So uh, I think that's where I was coming from. That was really uh, well described. Thank you so much. So you went from a place of being an expert to a place of sort of feeling like a novice it's like your superpower didn't come over with you you felt like the, the, the thing that you thought was your superpower that's right and I, I as i told sean when, before we started it's like the universe keeps giving me this um i just sean got off the phone with a gentleman who literally used the words i have imposter syndrome <laughs> he's in a new job he's wondering why did they hire me um I'm not measuring up. Um, and we played out like, so what are you doing as a result of that? Well, in his case, he's overworking. He's uh, checking his phone during vacation. Uh, he's overcommitting to things that he knows he can't do, but his brain says yes anyway. And so we walked down the rosy path of what's going to happen if you keep doing all those things. And he was very self-aware. He knows what he needs to be doing, but this story, this imposter syndrome story, I love the way you described it. Am I the right choice? And uh, what did you say? Was Am I the, am I the person they thought? Right, I questioned their reality, their sense of reality. It was like, <laughs> it was like you guys really, do you guys know what you're doing? <laughs> They're going to figure out who I am. And uh, I'm not the guy they interviewed, right? Um, mm -hmm. So all of those were, so the emotions they were causing you, anxiety, you said, um, what other emotions were were those thoughts causing you the imposter syndrome thoughts um fear mm -hmm. um yeah fear uh i don't know how to describe the emotion but it's like when you feel inadequate um things like that uh that's sort of shame like <laughs> unworthy yeah yeah i could i could yeah it was probably in there somewhere <laughs> yeah well shame is from a scientific standpoint, the lowest vibrating emotion we can feel, which means it's the most toxic, the most harmful, the most damaging to our immune system. 
uh, it doesn't get any worse than shame. I mean, you'd think anger, but anger flares and then it goes away uh, for most of us and it becomes sort of a simmering resentment. But shame, this feeling that we're not good enough, that something is wrong with us, that we're not measuring up, is just toxic on the soul. And we all have an I'm not good enough story because of how vulnerable we are born. Unlike any other mammal, we are born um, completely dependent for years. And so the story develops to keep us safe. So we behave. So our parents will feed us and clothe us and keep us. And, uh, and then we never learn in kindergarten that, oh, by the way, you really are worthy. So that story, you don't need that anymore. <laughs> Your parents think you're really cute and they like you. So get over it. They don't teach us that. <laughs> so we all have it. And this is, I think, the biggest work we can do because we got people walking around with, everybody's, everybody's walking around with this, I'm not good enough story. They're all taking actions from that, like overdoing or pretending or, uh, you know, Imagine in your own life what you might be doing when you think you're not good enough. So, Sean, what were some things that you were doing because of your I'm not good enough in this role, you hired the wrong guy story? It, it, it's funny because when you were relaying the other anecdote of the other individual that you were talking to um, resonated because it was a lot of the same things. Um, I was taking on too much. I was taking accountability for things that I shouldn't be taking accountability for. Um, I found myself reverting back to my comfort zone of um, trying to power through and just do, do it myself, which was exactly the wrong thing because the, what I was being asked to do was leading teams. When, and, and, and the way that I was being asked to lead these teams was letting the team take uh, responsibility and let the team do the work. But my go-to position is to just power through myself. Um, that, that gives me that sense of control. <laughs> and, and so, uh, I was, and so what I had done, I had inadvertently, um, made additional mistakes, which sort of further reinforced the, the, the sense of inadequacy because things weren't necessarily going exactly the way I wanted to. And, and, you know, some stress levels on the team were starting to, to bubble through. So it was one of those self reinforcing things, but, um, it's almost like the, the analogy I think of is like when you're in a situation where you can't control, so your reaction is, to, or your instinct is to hold tighter, Mm-hmm. But in reality, that's the last thing you want to do. You actually want to let go a little bit, like on like what is it, like vibrating steering wheels or something like that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the image that comes to mind is you really actually want to release your grip a bit, and it was causing me to tighten my grip and um, just uh, losing sleep. I couldn't get outside of my head. Losing oh, so that was amazing. Uh, so <laughs> And you're right about the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We do all these things that are counter to our success. And if we don't stop doing them, they will produce the outcome. You, you will be behaving like a person you are not. So then they will be hiring the person that you are not. <laughs> and you will fail, which you don't need to, all because your brain is telling you to say yes, overdo, overhold. And then instead of holding the egg lightly, like you're saying, you crush it. Mm-hmm. And it's messy. Uh, all right. Uh, so Sean did figure this all out. People don't worry about him. Um, they're not worried about you. Actually, they're thinking about themselves going, Oh, damn, that's why I'm doing that. Um, so we, the last step in steer is to figure out what results you're getting. And you said, um, mistakes were being made. 
um, relationships were getting damaged. I was losing sleep. Those are big. Anything else? Any other results? Um, those were the big ones. I mean, there have been some smaller ones, but they, they all sort of fit underneath those categories. Now, correct me if I'm wrong in my memory, but your presenting issue with me wasn't that you weren't good enough. I think it was that you wanted to feel more confident. Was that, was that the case? Something around confidence? Yeah. Yeah. Originally. Yes. Yes. You're right. So, so I think what it was, um, the, the, at the highest level, what I was identified as saying, this is something that I, it's been sort of just in the back is to, um, to project confidence in, in situations where maybe I'm not as certain. So in, in, in times of uncertainty, how do I still maintain and project confidence? Um, which if you kind of dig underneath that, I think was, um, because if you don't, if you don't feel good enough or you're not, you're not, not the right person for the, for the job or just all those other um, insecurities come through, then that's sort of underlying a problem, you know, mixed with other things that would cause me to think or um, which would interfere with the ability to be confident. And when we took you through the steer model on this confidence thing, we realized we couldn't give you band-aids for confidence. Like I couldn't give you behaviors to pretend you were confident when you had this story that was underlying and undermining you showing up as confident. Yep. We could have faked it. And, and, and Amy Cuddy does have a point, fake it until you become it, uh, which means you're just building neural pathways. Sometimes you have to speak up in meetings even though you're nervous. Uh, but it really helps a lot if you identify the underlying reason why you're doing that behavior and address that. So, we took it up a level. And I remember at one point you said, well, I'm gonna start using more self-deprecating language so I don't feel like I'm having to give the exact right answer. Or, did you, do you remember something about self-deprecating language? Yeah, that's, I think it's, that, that, that's a good point because that's another um, fallback, I think for me, um, is I have a self-deprecating nature about me. My humor is, is anchored on self-deprecation. Um, and then also at the same time, I have it. I have a tendency to lead. If I'm in a situation where I'm not 100% certain on something, I will. I'll caveat or I'll, I'll give myself an out um, in those ways. And so, the, so in if in, if in a high stress situation, I think I do that more so than I otherwise would. So yeah, absolutely. Right. So you were going to do the thing that was absolutely the wrong thing for you to be doing, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, rather than just trusting that you were there for a reason that they hired you for a reason and we're going to get to what you thought you decided your your upgrade was going to be um but i remember based on just the day i spent with you this all came as quite a surprise to me because as i told you in that day even though you weren't the most talkative person you were extremely present and I felt like you were extremely engaged and I would have not known that you weren't feeling confident but that was a different situation right I wasn't calling upon expertise you were soaking up knowledge and contributing your own um, input to it so I think you were in a more comfortable place and I saw the more real you uh, and so the upgrade I tossed at you was what if your presence is the gift and your curiosity and your newness. What if that is such a necessary novelty in the meeting, in the conversation, 
that they, uh, you know, they're going to drink that up. And I don't know how that landed with you. It was just, a, we're going to get to what you really thought, but that was just something that based on my perception, I absolutely knew that you had something to contribute. And I was kind of really desperate to get you to upgrade that thought because it was just mm -hmm. weighing on your soul unnecessarily. Um, and before we get to what you did, um, I think we've all seen leaders who come in from the outside who are really new, not even to the organization. I mean, I mean, not, not coming from within the organization, coming from a different company. And we can tell the ones that aren't confident because they try and make some bold sweeping move early. And that usually involves moving deck chairs on the org chart because they're feeling like they have to prove that they can do stuff. And that's the most visible thing they can do. And it's actually the worst thing that a new executive leader can do when they come on board. But it takes a really authentically confident person to come on board and say, I'm gonna do nothing except talk to people and listen and learn about this organization before I do anything to restructure because that's gonna throw everything into chaos and um, create disorder and the lack of productivity. So the more people can learn that your job when you're new is to learn and just contribute where you can, the better off everybody will be. All right, so Sean, what did you eventually come to think that gave you relief about your situation? Well, I would, I would say that the, the upgrade thought that you had pitched was central. Um, the idea of shifting away from the idea or the notion that my contribution um, to like, or how I, how I, how I add value um, along the chain is by my expertise. And then instead, um, my presence and being in just completely isolating and, and, and acknowledging the fact that if I, you know, cause again, just like you were mentioning earlier, just jumping from, you know, meeting to meeting um, and you, you can get overwhelmed and to stop and, and regroup and remind myself that being, being intellectually curious and being present and, and giving a hundred percent of myself into that moment in those discussions uh, free, freed me up a lot. It, it disconnected um, from the other thinking, the other thoughts that were clouding and getting in the way. And so what, the way that would show up sometimes would be is, is like through questions and answers. So as you're presenting, you're talking or you're describing your thoughts or ideas and questions start coming, um, it would, it, it helped my, in my disposition. So I wouldn't get, sorry, it, well, now I'm going back a little bit in a lot of ways it would, I would get defensive or I would, I would question. So if someone asked me a question, I know the answer, then I would, I would cause more stress. And then I would, you know, uh, it would, I couldn't get past it or it was harder to think, um, quickly in those situations. Whereas if I orient myself towards just being, um, I am there to learn, understand and be present. Then it, it allows me to take in those questions in a lot more of a neutral way, respond, and then, and then move, which is all anybody I think ever wanted. <laughs> and so in those discussions, it, it would, it would, I, I would feel those results 
almost immediately in those discussions. So I could, I could feel myself getting stressed. I would call up my, I would serve up the, 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 the alternating thought and it would help me calm down a little bit in that moment, just a little bit to be able to, to think a little bit more clearly. And then I would pick up something potentially. And then, and then it, I would respond a little bit of a different way. And then that would reinforce positive and then I would start to feel better and then I would just be able to plug through. And I would have little small moments like that, you know, even within like a 30 or 60 minute engagement with an individual. Um, so it was self it was self-reinforcing much in the same way that I was describing before, but any other way. Yes. Oh, I freaking love it. So same situation. You're in a conversation, uh, in an engagement. I love that. Um, you didn't call it a meeting. You're like, we're engaging. And because you really were, most of the time people are talking at each other, but you brought, like you said, what everybody wants. Everybody wants people to come with curiosity because then their brain will work better. Their brain will think better. They will feel heard and everything will go better. But we don't get curiosity very often. And that is the gift of the new. So your situation was the same. You were still the new guy, but your thought about it was that intellectual curiosity is my gift. In this, com- in this conversation, in this engagement. And that created, you said it freed you up. It created freedom, relaxation, even if it was just for a moment. And that's so different from what you were experiencing before. And then that's right. your actions, so we're just going through the steer model, the A, the action was you actually asked good questions <laughs> that were really genuinely from curiosity, which is, it's harder to cultivate curiosity when you're an expert. It, that, that's right. It was, that was another big thing. Um, uh, I would almost say that being curious is the opposite and that's sort of just mm-hmm. off the cuff. So um, we could probably dissect that more, but they feel like they're on different sides of the spectrum. They do. I mean, you can do it, but it's really hard. I mean, you think about Einstein, I mean, talk about intellectual curiosity, but all of us look at him like, well, you're the expert in physics. Like, no, he was asking questions. That's how that's what the power of asking questions and having a mind that can answer them. Um, but it takes intentionality to be that curious. And that's why in my Aloha questions, the first, the A stands for assess and it's really getting curious, but what assumptions am I, am I making going into this conversation? Am I assuming that my value is in telling facts? Uh, what am I assuming they want? before I ever go into the conversation and say anything, I would need to understand better what my mindset is going in. So how did this, we're going to talk about, you had another very powerful steer that people can relate to as well that I want to talk about, but um, tell me a little bit more about those moments that you bought. What, what were you doing to buy those moments of clarity and peace and space uh, to create a gap that you didn't fill with the old behaviors? Um, that's a really good question. So there's, there's, there was a few, um, and they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. So I'll, I'll try to draw on a few examples that I can think of. Um, uh, and it's, there, sometimes I had to force it. So there was, there was one situation specifically um, that I was, it was, I was presenting. So this was a moment where uh, myself and I did have a business partner here. So that, that helped me here. 
Um, but I, 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 I had fallen into a moment of panic. I mean, it was, it was, it was full on panic. I had lost my place. I was supposed to be sending, um, uh, some specific messages to help set context for this training, um, uh, situation. Um, and it was, it, it, I had never quite felt this before, but I had completely lost my place. It was online. So I was in my office, so I didn't have anybody around me. Um, but I was, I had enough of, 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 of the presence of mind to, um, just pause the conversation and hand it over to my business partner to pick up for me. And I, I think I had just came up with, um, something like I had to clear my throat or I'd made up something essentially for just to be able to go on mute for a second. Um, but the, the, the stress was, was, um, was incredible. It was huge. I'd never felt this before. Like I said, um, so I had paused it and, and handed it over to my, my partner and said, Hey, can you take it from here? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. She was, she was fantastic. Um, but in a normal situation, if I, without having just some of the, the relaxation, um, exercises that you had kind of walked us through, they were physical. Um, like how do you calm your physical self? And then, and then what are you thinking about in your mind at that time? So I was able to clear up a few minutes, probably about maybe three to four minutes of, of free time. I pushed my chair back physically, got a little bit closer to the window. Um, and I, I had kind of, I would use some of those, uh, some of the, um, so you had, you had, you had shared with us some, some self-talk, um, upgrades, like you, how do you, how do you shift from, this is what you're telling yourself and, and how you can, um, upgrade that message. So I was kind of going through those, those things and just, you know, calming myself down that way. Um, and just taking some deep breaths. And I was, I was also recalling some of the things you had said about, um, uh, the physiological things that are going on in your brain. Um, I think it was the cortisol, if I'm remembering that correctly, that your brain will dump cortisol, um, yeah. in that fight or flight and in that panic moment. And in that moment you're operating, on a, uh, you just, you, you, I mean, it, it's fundamental sides of your brain. So it was, I was specifically trying to calm myself and get out of that space so then I can re-engage in the conversation. And I, I was able to do that pretty quickly. I was pretty happy. Um, and so I was able to get back on, add a couple of comments at the end of uh, sort of the, the part that my business partner was handling, which I thought in my mind was a way to re-engage and sort of make up for the loss that I had initially. So I kind of made up some ground there. Um, but the really, the really important part and the thing that was, um, I think, the most impactful was there was that moment, right? So that just kind of gets you through the moment. But it was how I continue or what I thought about that moment after mm -hmm. the fact, because that's the part where I would just, you know, historically would just have, have let myself really probably go down and, and um, I would, I would take myself apart in a situation like that. And in this case, um, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, I, it, it was, it, I, it was it was really interesting because a lot of the things were just still front and center in my mind of um you know just it was it was a miss and it wasn't that big of a deal and i was able to convince myself of what i really what what probably what people were probably thinking um which was um not much at all <laughs> <laughs> and so uh but it didn't take me very long to get there which 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 is which was new um, and, and I tested my assumption as well, cause I didn't want to, I, I wanted to test it. I, I, again, I was, I was a lot, I, I stepped out of the moment and just looked at it a little bit more critically and, and more from a, from a place of learning and growth and those types of things, more of the, uh, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. 
of what, what happened and, and how can I learn from this? And in that moment, I was like, well, let me test my assumption. And so some of the people that would have had uh, uh, something to say about this, there's the people who were involved in the discussion who would have um, uh, had formulated an opinion. And I, I had other engagements with them in other moments. And I chose not to say anything just to see if they would say anything. Because if it were really bad, they probably would have said something. And nobody said anything at all. So the whole thing just kind of went by. And it was a very powerful learning um, for me. And it cemented a lot of things um, for, for me in that moment. And it's carried through in other situations in smaller degrees. So I think that was kind of a long, lengthy um, explanation. Um, but it was, it was a, it was really, um, it was, I, I thought it was a good example. And it was, and it hit me in a very deep emotional way. And which is um, usually what um, compels me in a lot of these areas. So that's why I think it was so impactful because I was able to recover in a way that I was actually pretty surprised at myself, yeah. actually. It's uncommon. We, we loop. We loop negative thoughts. We tell stories about ourselves, and we think people care way more than they actually do. No one else was thinking about that situation after it happened, or even while it happened. Like you said, they didn't see you in the room. They had no idea, um, and you checked it out. But you could have. Like you said, you could have kept looping that thing all weekend and worried about it, and we all do it. And what you said about cortisol, it takes about 90 seconds for cortisol to get through, to go run through your system, but every time you loop the thought, you're adding more. And so it has a longer half-life, cruelly, than all the other emotions. So, you know, we feel happy, whee, and then that goes away. It's like a fleeting moment of happiness. Like, no, I want some more of that. Um, that's why people get addicted to gambling. It's that get, get addic addicted to dopamine because dopamine doesn't last very long. Because if it did, we would never go out and hunt for berries. We would just think about a berry and get happy and never do anything about it. So if there's a reason why we stew on these things in tribal days. You know, if we did something really bad, we could get kicked out of the tribe and die. But if we do something bad in a conference room, we're probably not going to get fired and we're definitely not going to die. But our brain doesn't know that. Our brain goes into panic. And I love how you call the panic. Uh, you probably had an amygdala hijack, which is an unfortunately common experience. And we've all probably been there where you get triggered and you don't know what to say. Like you, you freeze. You have no words. It's a terrible feeling. <laughs> it happened to me at a small round table with a senior vice president who said, why the hell do we need a vision anyways? Like, I, I, I just lost words. I just lost words. So uh, it's not a comfortable feeling. I have somebody in the past two weeks who cried because she perceived her leader as not having her back and she started shaking and cried. And she didn't intentionally do that. It was an involuntary physical reaction. Um, another one who yelled uh, at her uh, direct direct report because she didn't like the report he sent. <laughs> she went back the next day and apologized to him. I mean, so we do all these things that uh, are just born of stress. And you learned to buy yourself time with deep breathing and techniques like, I'm gonna turn it over to my friend. And when you're really okay with yourself, you might say something like, 
I have lost my place. I, mean, I will do that in a presentation. I'll be talking along and then boom, I have a senior moment or something. I'm just like, okay, words have escaped me. Give me a few seconds here. I'll see if I can find it. And if I relax, I find it. And meanwhile, nobody's thinking about me. They're all thinking about their grocery list or the meeting they've got next or the conversation they just had with their kid or their boss or whatever. So that was huge for me just when it comes to, um, I used to be panicky about giving presentations. And then I realized it wasn't about me and it wasn't a presentation. It was a conversation. I was doing most of the talking, but it was a conversation. The other people were talking in their own heads and sometimes with me, and I was just a vessel for the message. Once I realized it wasn't about me, that changed my whole demeanor, and I became tremendously relaxed in front, of a, in front of a big room. So it's not the fact that you're in front of a big room or that you're in a meeting with executives that's causing the trigger. It is the story you have about that event that is causing you to feel those emotions. Which brings me to, at the end of our conversation, I'm like, Sean, that's, I can't, I just, I, I can't believe that you, you came up with this, uh, an upgrade that worked. And if, if that one that I tossed out at you hadn't worked, and by the way, you came up with your own, uh, just mine helped you get there. I was tossing things out without being attached to them, just as a brainstorm. And you found something in there that, there that worked for you. Um, but I want to ask you, how did it stick so fast? Tell me a little bit about, because we talked about how strong emotion and repetition, more than time, are what create a new habit. And you created this habit way faster than most people create habits. And I do believe this, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a habit of yours now where you enter into an engagement and you're more calm and you see your role as being more of a curious contributor. So yeah. what would you say about what helped you do that? Um, that's a, okay. So really, again, really great question. Um, it's, uh, some of it is, is a little bit unknown to me other than I think just it, maybe it was, I was just in the right place. It, I was, I was in, I was at this particular moment, I was really receptive to hearing things and really, really wanting to, to make a difference and make a change. So going into our conversations and, and having an, an opportunity to, to, to meet in a group and, and have, um, you know, somebody guide us and, and, and coach us in this way. I was really excited about that. So I'm, I am receptive. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, I think it was the, maybe it was the simplicity of the um, upgraded to the self-talk. So that, that inner critic um, and the, 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 um, some of the cues that you gave us, cause you gave us a handout that are fairly common and I can identify with, with almost all of them. I find myself checking, um, convincing or, or having those, um, uh, changes in internal, my internal dialogue very frequently, like daily. I check myself all the time. Um, and I don't, and it's, and it's, and it's at the point right now where I don't even think about it. As soon as it comes in, I can hear myself saying some of those, those phrases that were really common that you'd called out as being common. Um, 
which again is probably the reason why, because they're common. And so you find yourself saying them over and over again. And the the upgraded version of that just slips right in without any effort. Wow. And so that's the, the repetition piece, I think, to that, which is it happens multiple times a day and in and outside of work. And so even, you know, just as I'm walking around and I'll see things and I'll find myself as I should, I should have known that I should have thought this. Um, I'm confused. I don't know. I should know this. I'm not good enough. I'm angry. I feel this. Um, for so many of those that you just constantly daily. And then the uh, sort of the, the, the more healthy version of that just serves right up fairly quickly. And so that I think is a key component of this because that's sort of the, the foundation, I think, of being able to be present enough in a moment where you can just stop and, and, and if, you, if you catch yourself in the moment, you can switch it. Um, and then the, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is um, the, there was one of them that's uh, in your, again, I don't want to keep going back to the, to the templates, but they just, they help so much. Um, the, so the, the, the initial one was I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm angry, I'm worried, I've got this feeling. And then in, instead it says, you, you, you ask yourself, I'm feeling this emotion and it's called blank and you kind of just stick it in there. I've done that one several times um, because it allows me to just step outside of myself yeah. for a moment, for just a, a fraction of a second. And it's enough to break a cycle. And it kind of makes you think, it kind of makes you, it, it, you, 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 it just reorients you in the moment and you realize that in conversations in your, especially in your mental mind or in your, in your head, these things happen really, really fast and you can do it within a conversation um, or, or any kind of a discussion because there's a pregnant pauses. Other people are talking, especially if it's more than one. So that I, it just happens all the time continuously. And then that allows me, I think, to take on some of the bigger things um, of, of, reorienting myself in a much bigger way, which is, you know, where does, where does my value come from and, and, and um, how am I really adding value for the organization and the team and all those other things. So it, it almost like there's the, the core pieces and they lead to these bigger things is kind of how I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Does that, does that answer your question or does that kind of yeah. get you where you're looking for? Oh my gosh. Yes. You're showing the value <laughs> of just using the damn tool. <laughs> just and it and it's so delicious when your your brain is like, oh my gosh, give me some more of that, that instant relief yeah. you just gave me, give me some more of that. And so, I think you got addicted, in a good way, to the relief you got from switching something from I should to, what can, what will, and I'm confused to, you know, how much time do I have? What will I do? What's the, whatever you did, whatever you would upgrade it to. Your brain got addicted to that, so you just start, and you started noticing it. You started priming yourself for these words: should, confused, I don't know. Um, I, I'm looking at mine's on my refrigerator right now, and I don't really need it anymore because um, my brain is like yours. It just, I am the should police. Um, I think mm -hmm. I told you I'm also the hope and wish police, and it's funny because yeah. we say hope and wish all the time, and I'll catch myself, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna let you wish for that. Like, I'm gonna give you that one. <laughs> Yep. But, then, but then I like turn it into a prayer. I, I, I then I ask a higher power, well, can you help me with this thing that I'm wishing for? And then it becomes intentional versus the whole pithy, oh, I want, you know, I don't have. That's right. Instead of from a place <laughs> of scarcity, it comes from a place of uh, abundance and gratitude. Like, hey, let's make this happen. 
I wish, I wish for that. So let, what do I need to do? It's a very mm-hmm. different feeling and it's wonderful. Um, so repetition, using the tools and emotion. So our brain needs to form many neural pathways for the new thought, the new behavior. And one of those ways is through, through repetition. And the other way uh, we grow neurons is through powerful emotions. They help uh, synapses convey the neurotransmitter. So without the emotion, it doesn't happen. So if you just repeat the phrase, but you don't believe it, if you don't really believe this upgrade that your intellectual curiosity is a gift to the other person, your brain will not turn it into a habit because it knows it's not true to you. That's why it is imperative that I, and if you're helping somebody else come up with a thought upgrade, that you don't get attached to it. Just because you believe it doesn't mean they do. And so I sincerely wanted you to find something that when you said it, you felt relief in your heart and in your gut because that's the only way you were going to turn it into a habit. And you got such relief. It was such a powerful emotion, this freedom. I mean, freedom's huge. Freedom's one of my favorite feelings in the world. And we don't get a lot of it from the time we're kids, you know, if somebody's telling us what to do. So when we feel freedom, it's intoxicating. And I think that that was a huge uh, part of why you were able to make this shift more quickly than other people tend to. Who knows, maybe everybody would if they use this tool, which by the way, is one of the first tools I give when in my um, overwhelm class, the reduce overwhelm and boost productivity class. By the way, you cannot be productive when you're overwhelmed. It's just not possible. <laughs> you could be busy, but you can't be productive because your brain, productive is all about working on the right things at the right time. So you get as much value for as little time You can't do that when you're overwhelmed. When you're overwhelmed, you make terrible decisions, like you were describing earlier about the overwork and the, um, you know, we become perfectionists. We say yes to things we don't need to be working on when we're in a state of overwhelm. Yeah. If I I can pile onto that as a concept, um, a bit of the transformation um, was also some bad. So, and again, and, and a, a part of this was also a shift in what am I doing? So if I'm, if I'm, if I don't think things are going right, what should I be working on? Um, and what's going to help me feel better? Because again, things were, things were just, I, I knew I wasn't working on the right things. I was pushing forward, but it wasn't pushing in the right way. I was pushing instead of pulling or whatever it was. And so again, I was kind of went back to the the conversations and the things that we had talked about and it allowed me to sort of calm down enough in the moment to think clear enough. And what I ended up doing was reaching out to some of the people that I had set up initially to um, my support group because I knew that I was going into a new role. And so I had gone, I had taken the step to tap people that I knew that were good at what it is that I was about to do so they can help me and help me understand what, you know, if I, had, if I were in a position and I didn't know what to do, well, you know, help me out. Um, but I got clouded. My, 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 I didn't have clarity. So um, stop, think, allowed me to have enough clarity to know, to reach out to the right people to help this individual that I've tapped, help me know where I should be focusing my energy. And she was like, no, you should be working on this, not that. 
So then I, so two things happened. One, I could still get that sense of, of, of self-worth because I was putting in that effort. I was putting in, you know, I was working hard, but I was working hard in the right way. And then, and then things flipped pretty quickly um, because of it. So I was working in the areas that I needed to work on. And I was I had enough clarity to know I should be focusing here, not there. So the learnings just started to multiply and, and which is why I was able to turn a corner so quickly. And when then I talked to you and you said, how are you doing? And I was like, fantastic. <laughs> so two, two times you went and got external support. So that is a best practice. And that is an, one more reason why you were able to make this so solid was that you didn't try to do everything on your own. And I just want everybody to know, I noticed that he said should twice, but you said it. <laughs> but Dang Sean, it. it was different. You said it in a way that was um, coming from a place of genuine curiosity and not self-judgment. You were saying it in a way as, what is the best thing, you know, what would the, what would the best me in this moment be working on? That was how you, like, what should I really be working on? And then she should, well, the, she said, well, this is what you should be working on. So I just want to say, it's about the intention behind the words. Words matter. But if you say it in a really, well, what should I be, in a curious manner like that? Absolutely fine. It's just about the result you're getting. If we ask it in a judgmental, you know, um, self-harm way with the lack of curiosity, then it's going to lead us to, uh, to do work that helps us feel like we're measuring up to something instead of helping us work on the actual right thing to be working on in that moment. So it was fine. Just want to call that out for people who were saying, hey, he's doing it. Oh. <laughs> About the intention. All right. So I, after our last talk, I said, so you got anything else that's bugging you? Because you just upgraded the core story. I'm not good enough, which is the story we all need to work on. But of course, then other things bug us and get in the way of our success. So if you're, I don't think we need to go into as much detail, but this other one that you upgraded is another one that a lot of people can relate to. Um, do you remember what it was? Or do I need to cede it to you? No, I remember. I remember. How can I forget? Um, okay. <laughs> this was good. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think it, it started with it's the um, generally uh, uh, my going in position. If I, the the higher somebody sits um, on the ladder, so to speak, or you could you know whatever anybody's situation is, you know hierarchy um, distribution between you and this other individual um, from from an org chart standpoint. Um, I get really nervous. So I've, I've always carried with me this deference to title. Um, and it sometimes it, it's nerve wracking and it's really, it, I, I end up preparing quite a bit for those. If I have those engagements and I understand like it's coming and I know it's coming, I'll prepare for them. And then I'm always a little bit um, nervous and anxious. And I, I, I feel like if there was a, another area that I can kind of focus on and say, okay, here's this worthy of, of some attention um, it's, it's how I prepare for those. Cause I, I, I think I should be preparing differently or I could, sorry, I heard myself say should, I could prepare differently. That wouldn't be, and I would probably have better outcomes and, and to get underneath that. And what's really making me nervous. Why, why, why do I, why do I worry so much about that? Was the, yes. the idea. And then, and then again, I think even in there, um, being nervous is not a good situation to be in because usually when you have those, those, um, those conversations and those engagements, they're, they're short and they're usually sort of based on, you know, a lot of uh, fact findings, a lot of Q and A 
Um, and if I'm anxious or nervous, I'm not going to show as well. And then they could perpetuate um, that even more. If I ask a question or it's not the right question or I feel it's not the right question and get all bunched up, I won't, I won't, I won't get as much out of that, of that engagement as I want. And then conversely, um, the, uh, you know, how am I showing up and what impression am I leaving with that, with that individual? Um, I do care how, how, they, how they perceive me in those moments. Of so. course you do. Like a, a normal person would care about how mm -hmm. somebody in power thinks of them. Uh, so the situation is you got to present to somebody very senior on the org chart. And you said you have a deference to title. The specific thought, I'm trying to remember the specific thought. Oh, so you, you shared a couple with me. One was I need to use their time wisely. I'm like, okay, well, I don't think that's going to get in too much trouble. Um, but then there was another thought that was causing you some pain and some poor actions. And I think it was something about, I need to anticipate every question they might have. That's right. It was a, it was a, it was, this, it was a going in assumption that um, again, because their time is so limited and you, and they're kind of goes back to my, I guess me and my old root cause that I'm supposed to have all the answers. Um, is that you should have a going in position. You should have a you should uh, you should have a position or an opinion on everything. Um, everything should be well thought out and um, uh, put together, crisp. Because th that would be that would be the opposite of of making good use of their time. <laughs> that would potentially be wasting their time if you're not prepared. Um, and have you know they like to solve problems, but it has to be a well thought out problem. It has to be one that's, that's at least been discussed and understood. And you're not just putting something on their, on their plate, asking them to do the thinking for you. Right. I don't know. People might be wondering why I'm laughing, but I'm, I'm literally predict, I'm like picturing you in the meeting, um, expecting that you are supposed to have all the answers before you even know the questions, you're supposed to have all the answers and that you should have an opinion about everything. And just we, I, because everybody can relate to this. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who spend hours and hours and hours preparing for meetings, trying to read the mind of the executive and thinking that they need to have an answer for everything. And part of me is laughing because I'm thinking about the executive, the poor executive, who can someone just have a freaking conversation with me? <laughs> I just need to have a conversation with somebody and not have to worry about your panic attack and your sweating and your over preparation. And can we just engage? And can I just engage with the professional that you are and get your opinion in the moment? <laughs> 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 so it's a very worthwhile topic to work on um, because it's causing you undue stress. And then it's probably causing you to, again, go in without curiosity. Because God forbid, you should not have an answer. Yep. So you were doing a lot of things well in terms of, of course you should use their time wisely. Again, I say should, but yes, I mean that we should use everybody's time wisely, right? And sometimes asking good questions and saying, I don't know, I'll go get the answer though. When do you need it by? I mean, sometimes that is using somebody's time wisely versus, you know, trying to figure out the answer to something we don't have the answer to or make something up or um so what did what did you eventually come up with that as a thought upgrade that helped you prepare the right amount for the meeting and come in with 
or eventually, because this has just happened, um, so I don't know if you've had a chance to practice this yet, but what thought do you think will serve you the best as you prepare and then as you sit down and have that conversation? Okay. Um, so I think when we talked about it, I should have written this down. No, I should Because <laughs> we ended up with like... <laughs> should have written it was like, I should have written it down. We'll um, figure it out right now. We'll just figure it out. It, so I think it was, um, well, I mean, it, so th there was, there was a position, I think we, 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 when we, when we teased it out a little bit, um, there was like what my, what a, what a, what an appropriate going in position would be is one that, um, I will be in, and it kind of actually, now that I'm saying it again out loud, it ties very, it ties back, um, very well to what we were talking about earlier, which is, yeah. um, to be engaged, to, to have an opinion um, and to be curious and willing, and yeah, I'm saying it again, but the, that willingness to engage, engage in the conversation, be curious, um, and, but, but still be prepared. So, so still understand what, what you need, but, but allow myself to be, um, unaware and really be in there to, and to engage effectively in a, in a, in a, in a conversation. I'm there to learn as well as, uh, share. Because executives don't get people being very present with them very often. Uh, they get the uptight version of people, not the calm, listening, present person that they might, that person might be with somebody uh, at the same rank as them. And that's got to get exhausting, I would imagine. So when I asked, I remember when we had the conversation, I said, well, if you were an executive, how would you want to be engaged with? And you went silent for like 30 seconds because you were really putting yourself in their shoes. And um, so I'm just going to try and remember some of the things you said, but you've already said them just now, but you, um, you wanted somebody to be, I think you, you said excited, like, like kind of like, for me, that means bringing some joy into the conversation, some positive anticipation into the conversation. Um, be a good listener, have a point of view, but be willing to engage in active dialogue, like, so they don't have to take care of your ego. They can actually press against your ideas and you guys can have a, you know, respectful dialogue that is more, um, less, less self, not self-deprecating, but less, what's the word I'm trying to say? Um, just more like sparring as two colleagues because yeah. that's what they need in order to have their own brain grow in order to think new thoughts. And, um, and they, they want to be able to ask you questions without freaking us out. Yeah. They don't want to have to take care of our ego and some don't, I mean, some just don't realize the power that they have, but psychological safety is a real thing. And we all do naturally get triggered in front of executives. So it does take, preparation and work uh, to come in there as, yeah, we may not be equals on the org chart, but we're equals as humans. I've got a point of view. I've got an expertise that you need. Uh, I need you to keep paying my paycheck. <laughs> <But> <laughs> let's, let's have this dialogue uh, person to person. So anyways, you came up with this. I just started laughing when you, when you described the person, cause I'm like, Oh my God, I bet that's actually exactly what they want. And I bet they very rarely get it. 
Yeah. Have you had a chance? Have you had an opportunity? Because we just had this conversation not too long ago. Have you had an opportunity to have an engagement with a senior executive and try it out? No, not yet. Um, um, I will have several this upcoming week. It's going to be a good week. A lot of practice. Awesome. <laughs> okay. I can't wait for you to try this out. Um, I mean, I just think you're going to, oh, they're going to love you. And I remember I told you, <laughs> seriously, I, I remember I told you that I had um, another person in our group, actually, who actually has a relationship from, you know, working with this leader for years and years and years before she was um, so high in the organization. And they were trying to mind read. Like, um, have you thought about sending her a message and saying, hey, here are the things we think you want to cover in the little time we have. What are the most important just in case, you know, we get short on time. We want to make sure we address. And she had never thought about ask, doing that. Why is everybody, why are we trying to mind read? <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, maybe some executives aren't open to that and they want you to mind read. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but I, I think, like you said, they want their time used wisely. And we just need to think differently about how to do that. And what that looks like and feels like from where they're sitting. A, a quick question on that. Um, this is kind of just going based off of the sort of continuation of that same conversation. So the 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 engagements vary with senior leadership. Mm -hmm. Sometimes and and do you and maybe we could talk about this later at some other point. But any initial thoughts you may have on tailoring it or or, or shifts or changes in that. Because, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking of a senior, I have a senior leader in my mind um, mm -hmm. and the, the engagements or, or how I would present or how I would show based on what we just talked about would be very different if it were like a one-on-one -on -one or a two-on-two -two or three-on-three -three, um, versus a different setting where the context is now shifted and now this person or other folks may be acting or reacting differently based on the context of that discussion. Because that... That, that's in flux too. I think I'm not understanding your question. So is it the person who's changing or just the context, the executive who is a different executive or the topic or it, what's the variable? It, sorry, um, the individual stays the same, the context changes. So mm. therefore they're, what they're looking for or what they may want to see and hear could be different. Yeah. So in other words, the excited, good, and I guess those could be universal, but it could shift or the expectation of knowing more than you should may change given the context of the. Yeah. Okay. And so if we go back to the Aloha questions, that's, that's the assess step. What is the goal? What does this person need? You know, what is the goal of the conversation? Um, so, because you need to know what the, the goal of the conversation is in order to decide what is the particular context and what are the best behaviors to bring to this conversation. So, absolutely have that in mind in addition to, you know, what state am I in? Um, but how much do I need to prepare? What would be the most valuable preparation content attitude to have in this conversation? Got it. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. I had this, this happened to me recently. I had a, a meeting with a senior executive. Um, it was very unpredictable. And that's hard. That's one of the hardest things. I mean, if you have somebody who's just predictably dour or difficult or 
whatever whatever the quality is you can sort of predict you know you, you know what you're going into and you can prepare but um but when you don't know uh just taking a few steps doing the relaxation techniques how do i want to be in this meeting what is the outcome i want to produce what do i what outcome do i think they want and where you have gaps keep doing what you're doing in terms of relying on other people like what's worked for you in the past um a lot actually a lot of things that you talked about before um priming the conversation if we have the four if we have the presence of mind or the the time to do that um priming the individual so to speak and then also um there has been times where if it was somebody who i didn't have a lot of engagements with or a lot of um context um i i have and would connect with people that i know that have to try to get a bead on on um what's it like what do they look for what what what, what can i expect it's great um those types of things yeah and then you just do the best you can and um you know now you know now how to not loop thoughts so conversations we can't predict ever when we try and write the script ahead of time uh that's when we box ourselves in and we are not present and not flexible not able to you know roll with whatever happens and then we loop and we beat ourselves up afterward um, if the conversation doesn't go well a lot of it often has something to do with their state of being when they came into the presentation whether they were tired or they just had a fight with their kid or they just got some bad news from somebody uh so you know we do the best we can and we prepare as much as we can and we are present in the meeting and sometimes just you being present can help a person snap out of whatever you know loop they're in and realize that they want to take it in a different direction so I always think just being present allows us to go where we need to go in a meeting conversation. I don't like calling them meetings. I like calling them conversations. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Is it, in? I mean, just now, right now, in this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm following along sort of how this conversation has been going, and it it all connects back to each other. It's all sort of these, just these loops that sort of connect to each other because it all feeds into one another. Um, totally. Um, which again, why I think a lot of my excitement stems from because it feels like I've got a really good foundation with some specific tools that I can use and bring into my everyday life that are foundational. And based on that, Anything is possible at this point. So um, it, it's, it's a gift that you've given me that I cannot express um, uh, or have a hard time expressing really how I feel about it because it is, it is, it is liberating in so oh. many ways. Um, well, and that, at this point, I feel like, well, there isn't anything I can't do now. If it's, it's, just, and it's just something I need to overcome, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know you will. And you will be that person in the room who is so present back to when we, for where we first started with your first upgrade that they can say when that executive throws them off course, you can say, you know what? I wasn't predicting you'd ask that. I need a moment to think about that. Can you say more about it? You will be the person that does that and everybody else will go drop the mic, dude. Oh my gosh. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
that, so that, 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 exactly. And then, and then even the best part, then he's the best part about the whole thing is that I'm going to go home at the end of the day and spend time with my wife and kids and just feel great. <laughs> and you won't be complaining. Oh, I screwed up in this meeting. I didn't have the answer to such and such. And she's going, Oh, really? Oh, great. Exactly. We're gonna and I get to be present that. there. And I be to be present with them and I get to add and do all those things and it won't, and people, and somebody asks her, so what, how, how do you feel about that meeting? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about it. I let that go. <laughs> Everybody's going to want some of your superpower. Like, can, that's right. It's great. Like, how do you keep it all together? I'd be like, well, let me tell you, <laughs> it all started with here, read this. <laughs> Put this on your refrigerator. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you for that because you've just made my day because that's what I'm all about is helping people feel better and tap into their potential. I mean, you have, we didn't even talk about your experience and where you've been and all the things you've done in your life. So when somebody like you doesn't feel confident, it's like, what is wrong with the world? Like, how can this be happening? But that's what our brains do. It doesn't matter how amazing you are and how much you have to bring. Our brains tell us otherwise, unless we train them not to. So you've helped me feel like I'm uh, living my dream. So thank you. And thank you for this time. And if anybody wants to put any comments or questions into the podcast blog, please do so. And if you have a question for Sean, I'll pass it on to him and let him, let him answer. Um, but I just want to thank you. And Sean, go and have a great weekend not thinking about work. Oh, indeed. <laughs> That's exactly my plan. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. Have a uh, great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.